Amid all the uncertainty out there, sometimes it's nice to take a step back and smell the roses, or at least ponder some big economic questions. Here's what matters. Live from our respective coronavirus social distancing outposts, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Robert Sarenbetz. And this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we, the strategists at New York Life Investments, will share insights from the multi-asset solutions team, what we think matters as we manage investment solutions. That includes Mainstay's diversified portfolio series, including the Income Builder Fund, as well as bespoke solutions for our partners. By sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of January 10, 2022, and it's still the new year. We're all still digesting our holiday meals, and we're also digesting what happened in 2021. And so we thought we'd stick with the new year content, but this episode's less about specific answers and investment ideas and more about fun, if fun is about investing. Well, we know it's impossible to predict what's going to happen in any given year or even a given day when it comes to the market. So when we think about our investment outlook, we always try to leave some time for what we call blue sky thinking. We take a step back and think about big questions, less than answers. Yes. And when we thought about 2022, we found a lot of really interesting questions that would be interesting for our listeners to hear and consider. They've come from you. And so that's where the fun comes in. Yeah, I think so. And our regular listeners will remember that last month we did an episode where we talked about the transitions that the economy will face from COVID-driven to more reopen, from government policy-driven to private sector having to take over, et cetera, et cetera. And they might happen in fits and starts, but we expect over the course of the year that they'll start to change in 2022. Right. And as they change, they've really created these fault lines in global economic and social structures. What we mean by that is that these processes, the ways we do things, the way we deliver goods and services, how we work, where we live, all these things have really been disrupted in the last two years. Yeah. And the big blue sky questions we have for you today are about those disruptions. It's not completely clear which of these big tectonic moves from the pandemic are going to settle back to where they were before the pandemic and which are going to really change the way we think about the economy and investment management. All we know is that the path towards a new steady state is not likely to be straightforward. Not straightforward indeed. So let's dig into those fault lines, blue sky thinking. Let's do it. And for our listeners, there are five of these. So stick with us through some storytelling. Yeah. The first question on our list, so number one of five, is about supply chains. Just about everyone has heard about supply chain disruptions in the last several months. We've received so many questions from our listeners about supply chains. First, the pandemic shut down production. Then the government stepped in to help avoid a recession. Demand picked way up. Way up and fast. Very fast. Production has now recovered to pre-pandemic levels, but it's still not enough to keep up with that big demand. Yeah, and honestly, the most likely thing that'll happen is what happens in most economic cycles, which is that demand will start to abate over time and production will continue to pick up. And so supply chains will normalize a bit and that will help reduce some of the associated economic pressures we're seeing, including inflation. That's the idea. There's only so many used cars or homes or big technology items you can buy. But we've already seen these supply chain pressures for almost two years now. And businesses will definitely respond to it. 
So the big picture question that we have to ask ourselves is how will these changes be reflected in supply chains of the future? Yeah, and to your point, Robert, about some of the transitions that businesses have had to make, we're seeing record investment in technological capabilities and in warehousing space to meet just-in-time demand and changes like that. But we're also seeing pressure to make supply chains more resilient. So are we going to see more factories of the future? Or are we going to see more warehouse storage where retail spaces used to be? Or are we going to see completely different supply chain strategies? It's not totally clear. Right. And these type of upheavals in supply chains, the big changes, they don't happen very often. But when they do, they can completely change the way a business operates. And it's typically a a revolution. I'm thinking like the industrial revolution with implications for nowadays, software, logistics, real estate, you name it. Yeah, as you can see, supply chain disruptions are about more than just supply chains themselves. They're about the core of business operations and business strategy. And so as we think about the companies or sectors that will thrive in the coming years, it depends a lot on how entrenched these supply chain changes or adjustments become. Super interesting to think about. It really is. Now, our second set of big questions for the economy has to do with labor markets. And similar to supply chains... The pandemic has created a major disruption for labor markets. So far, for most people, it's been really challenging. School closures, concerns about health, layoffs, work disruptions, less demand for services. The labor force uh, certainly went under its own sort of revolution or upheaval, but now it's recovering. And there are still some serious roadblocks in the way. Yeah, after a decade, really, of sluggish wage growth, those roadblocks to people getting back into the labor force, which can be a negative thing, are also contributing to higher wages for the workers that are in the workforce. Oh, it's an interesting pro and con based on the same issue. So our big question for the economy, looking at both the positive and negative, is does the disruption finally point to a moment of bargaining power for workers, or will those higher wages push companies into more automation? more investment to try to reduce labor costs. Yeah, it's it's too early to say definitively and almost certainly there will be at least a little bit of both of those buckets you've described. But one thing we are seeing is that the companies that are paying above minimum wage are doing better retaining talent. Happy workers, less disruption from this labor market upheaval. Exactly. And This is really interesting food for thought as we consider investment risk and individual stock picking because higher prices and higher wages technically point to margin pressure for companies, which on its own would be a concern for an investor. You don't want lower profit margins. But if lower margins means securing better and more loyal talent, less turnover, less disruption, it's an interesting non-traditional risk metric that an investor could consider and an important component of a manager's investment process, potentially. Bingo. Now, these first two big questions that we brought up, supply chains and labor markets, they're really interesting. And I think they're in many ways the most relatable, but we're also starting to eat into our listeners' time. So we'll go through the other big questions for the economy a bit more quickly. The next one we've talked about a fair bit, so we can mention it briefly. I'll give you a hint. After higher prices and higher wages, the next thing is... You guessed it. Higher interest rates, or at least the threat of higher interest rates, because that's the way the Fed thinks about these first two changes, higher prices, higher wages, higher interest rates. But the big question for investors and for the economy is, do higher interest rates mean 
high interest rates, or at least rates high enough to make the fixed income sleeve of an average investor's portfolio a little easier to manage? Mm, interesting. I'm not so sure about either of those things, which raises an important question for investors. Can we adapt our investment mix to account for tighter spreads or maybe lower interest rates for longer? Should we? And how can someone still generate income if that is their investment mandate? It's been honestly one of the biggest questions for investors for the last 10 years. And we expect that it could be one of the big questions for investors in the next 10 years as well. So if investors are trying to seek broader mandates and more levers of value creation to make up for interest rates that just are staying low, then how can managers adapt to that? How can they be more flexible in response? Yeah, bottom line is that higher rates don't necessarily mean high rates, as you said, but we're going to spend a lot of the time on the risk associated with higher rates in the next two weeks. So interested listeners should certainly stay tuned. Love that. Well, the next big question, our fourth big question for the economy and markets is my personal favorite, and it has to do with cities. Cities. Is that your favorite? Is that just because you like going to big cities around the world? <laughs> well, that is definitely true. But even from an economic sense, there's a lot of reasons why I really like this topic. Namely, it's just that so much of what we've talked about so far contributes to this question of how permanently has the way we work and the way we live changed? Our are locations and expectations and commute times and online meeting accounts forever different? It's a huge question and it has implications for our lives and basically every asset class out there and some good nerdy long-term economic questions like inflation and productivity too. I see like remote work and ordering everything online has implications for the real estate sector on the whole. Uh, what does that mean the big question is for the economy then? I think it really comes down to how employers and tenants react. And when I say tenants, I'm thinking about, for example, a company that rents or leases a, a space in a city downtown area. So thinking about the employer side of that, how will they balance increasing worker attention to flexibility with their real estate footprint and where they have offices? And as they consider that real estate footprint, we're already seeing that better technological capabilities of spaces. So think like webcams in room, conference rooms and that type of thing. And then also more energy efficient buildings are becoming more important. And that has implications for which companies and service providers could be winners from these changes. So if you think the companies that provide either the building the space or the webcams, et cetera, and that could open a big door for investors to add value thinking about those different changes? Mm, that is a big question. And I can see how uh, different investors can add different value along kind of the, the trajectory of, of managing one of these real estate spaces. Well, I live in New York City, so I guess I have an obvious personal preference that these changes are interesting and keep people living and thriving in cities, but only time will tell what becomes of the economy and the market's preference for those changes. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'll also mention that if the conversation around cities is relevant globally, the degree to which it's relevant is really different in some regions over others. And this is another thing I think is interesting about the cities question. The U.S., for example, is a really big country with lots of cities and lots of regional hubs for business. Other countries have seen less of a flight from the major dominant urban centers. And 
that could give investors important information about the durability of this trend of sort of flight from cities and where opportunities may lie. I love that you made this a global perspective, at least in in our thinking here on the program. So often we have a US-centric perspective, but uh, it's really nice to think about how the differences might be regional. And I definitely encourage listeners who are interested in those regional differences to check out our outlook because it is in, in our outlook. Moving on to our last topic, if cities was your favorite big question for the economy and markets, then my favorite one has to also be mentioned. All right, then it's got to be about ESG or something environmental or social or governance related. You nailed it. It's specifically about climate awareness, I think, but ESG captures it all. Well, while ESG has been an investment buzzword or buzz phrase for the past decade at least, I have to agree with you that attention to the issue has increased meaningfully in the past year or two. Investors in all of our conversations seem more aware of potential greenwashing or practices where investors promise to pay attention to these environmental or social or governance issues, but maybe don't change that much in real life. And if investors and individuals are becoming more aware of that, and also more aware of some of the different risks that could impact your average company, then you better believe companies and investment firms are going to be paying more attention too. Yeah, that's why it's such an interesting series of questions for me around climate awareness and around paying attention to these non-traditional or non-financial risks. Um, It comes down to these philosophical questions that an investor really has to deal with. And then as well as like a whole scope of regulatory change and impacts that might shift the landscape. For me, the two biggest questions are how will investors react to this shifting landscape? If they do choose to adapt their practices to focus on sustainable value, how quickly will businesses and asset management strategies adapt to that change? We're already seeing it for now, but how quickly will it ramp up in the future? And then secondly, will companies invest in asset modernization? And this is more of the technological opportunity side of thing, less about the risks. Like you mentioned in real estate, with all this change, if someone is trying to be greener or a company or a real estate building, will they ditch the environmentally unfriendly business lines or will they invest to modernize them and make them better? or maybe a little bit of both. Yeah, and if companies don't make that green transition, I think then the most interesting question becomes, will regulators or lenders, so investors, starve them of capital? Maybe it's not something that happens today or tomorrow, but soon enough, are we looking in an environment where investors have to consider as a binary choice whether they'll make an investment or a loan to that business? Yeah, I mean, honestly, none of these questions have exact answers, but that was kind of the point for today. We just want to think out loud and share some of the things that we're thinking about as we consider asset allocation opportunities, as well as risks and big questions over the coming years. Yes. And these questions also shape how our investment managers operate. The opportunities and risks can involve in big ways as big questions like these emerge. It's fun, it's interesting, and it's an important exercise to think outside the box and think creatively. Coming up next, it's Inflation Week. We'll get the next round of consumer price inflation data on Wednesday, and we'll dedicate next week's episode to understanding what it means for us as consumers 
paying those higher prices, what it means for the Fed and what it means for investors as well. But that's it for today. We'll be back next week with more Market Matters. Please let us know what matters to you. If you have a question or topic of interest, reach out to us on social media. That's right. We've been covering our 2022 outlook in many of these episodes, and we'd love to hear from you with your questions or what matters to you in the new year. And you can do that by finding us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views on our website, and that includes the 2022 outlook. You just go to newyorklifeinvestments.com and click the insights tab. There's a lot of good stuff in there. We encourage you to check it out. But until then, I'm Robert Serenbetz. And I'm Lauren Goodwin. See you next week. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamont, and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I'll now read our disclosures from compliance. For more information about Mainstay Funds, call 1-800-624-6782 for a prospectus or summary prospectus. Investors are asked to consider the investment objectives, risks, and charges and expenses of the investment carefully before investing. The prospectus or summary prospectus contains this and other information about the investment company. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. There's no assurance that the investment objectives will be met. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as of a specific date. It is subject to change and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is both a service mark and the common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with the New York Life Insurance Company. The mainstay funds are managed by New York Life Investment Management, LLC, and distributed by NY Life Distributors, LLC, 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302, a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company. NY Life Distributors, LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.